Guest questions about the Wild Eye Mara camp. This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye, and I just finished a Zoom call with Evan, and he is going to be joining us at the Wild Eye Mara camp towards the end of September and October. Now, for the last five years, like you'll hear in the interview, Evan's been chatting to me about this experience, and he's wanted to do a podcast with me in order to ask questions that he thinks other guests who have booked or who want to book on the Mara camp might ask and get value from. So I just sat down with him. We had a great chat where he asked his questions and hopefully the answers that I give and the discussion that we have will give some of you who who are still looking at the experience or who have big booked but you want some deeper info, I hope it adds some value to you. Here we go. Hope you enjoy. Evan, how's it going, man? Good. How are you? Good, thank you. So just for people listening, where you find yourself and how's life treating you? Um, so it's cold and that's because I am located in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So uh, for those of you who don't know, actually, those of you who've been on trips with you, hmm. Alberta is right next to British Columbia. That's it. The, the, what is it with Calgary though? Because I had a client yesterday I spoke to from Calgary. I had another person two days ago, Calgary. I've got um, some of my wife's family, Calgary. What is it about the place? Everybody seems to go there. Um, <clears throat> a lot of it is we're kind of, well, um, it's because pretty much we're right at the beginning of the Rocky Mountains. Um, oh, man. Like my actually, my hometown where I was born, um, Banff, Alberta. If you look up Canada, yeah. most of the pictures come from Banff. Um, oh, I've heard of Banff, but apparently it's beautiful. Yeah. You get like glacier, like turquoise blue glacier lakes in Banff. And yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> it's think- also, yeah. I was just going to say, it's the oldest national park in Canada, too. Oh, it's bad. So yeah. Oh, wow. The interesting, I mean, yeah. after I've finished here with you, I'm going to sit with you, Han and Michael, and we're currently looking at more international trips. So, I mean, things like Galapagos, Alaska, but a lot of that I'm trying to hinge on my Great Bear Rainforest trip for next year. And I've so badly mm-hmm. been wanting to go to Banff and do those things, even if I just stay on my own and do a road trip. So, got to get there, man. Yeah. Got to yeah. get there. I've also heard that Calgary is apparently quite a big party place. During the summer, yeah, under normal circumstances when we don't have a giant pandemic going on, um, we have what's called the Calgary Stampede, which yeah. is, it's a, it started out as a rodeo um, back in 1912. Yeah, and that's what I heard about, you know, the rodeo thing. Yeah, it's just a basically a big party for 10 days now. Is there an um, actual rodeo as well? Yeah, there's a rodeo. Um, there's check wagon races. That's a big draw. Um there's a couple other events and then, yeah, like we get performers from all over the world coming and performing and yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Um, when you live here, it kind of loses its appeal and you oh, kind I'm of sure. everyone. <laughs> yeah. Cause I've, I had uh, a couple of clients and then family members also that have, that's been to this thing and the pictures we see is, and I'm not going to lie to you, these people go hard and you think, what the hell? This looks like madness, but um, Hey, each to his own. Hey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, Absolutely. So for people listening, so you're joining us for the migration later on in this year. I think two weeks, yeah? yeah. And two weeks, yeah. 
for the longest time you've been wanting to chat because of questions and stuff, and you thought that there'd be value for other people, which I think is a great idea. So first of all, I have to apologize for it taking this long. First of all, That's I was true. traveling. Then this thing called COVID, which as a travel company wasn't great. Not going to lie to you. Yeah. But we're going well and strong. So I'm glad we can finally meet up, man. Which which two weeks are you doing? Um, the 25th, and then I'll leave. I'll head back home October I should have had this all up. This is yeah. no, no. I, I should actually know this as well. But I think one of them is with me. Hey, yeah, That's yeah. That that much no. That much yeah. you know. I have you and Trevor the first week, and then I have uh, Johan and Luke the next week. Oh, nice. Our week's much better. You won't go and enjoy them anyway, so it's fine. They, they don't listen to me. So it's cool. I can say these things. Um, I also <laughs> know that we have got a. I think it's a Sony A9 that we that we're arranging for you for the trip. Yeah. Okay. So, so before you get into your questions, let me do this. Tell me about your photography. Where did it start? Um, a lot of it started, actually, I can think right back to when it started. Um, my family did a trip up the U.S. West Coast when I was about 14. And my grandfather had given us his old point and shoot Olympus. Like it wasn't even a DSLR. DSLR. Yeah. Um, and just, I got my hands on it and I was taking photos. I've got photos of seagulls in California. I've got canyons in Arizona and stuff. So yeah, I just got interested that way. And then um, um, just like even before that. Yeah. And Sorry, so, yeah. so your Instagram handle for people listening is LeMay, LeMay, how do I say it? LeMay. Yeah. LeMay photo. So it's L-E-M-A-Y photo. Um, and looking through, yeah. I'm drawn to the Arctic. So like the, the what is a moose in the snow and there's some really good stuff here, man. Really, and all these landscapes in and around Canada. Yeah. Holy hell. That's amazing. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I'm just going to double check because I think, I don't think I have anything else from there because. Oh. No, I mean, the, the, some of it I recognize, but just, I, I've gotten to a place where wildlife photography is cool, right? And, but there was something when I went, and it started in Svalbard, the Arctic, and then also Iceland. Mm-hmm. There's something about the cold air and these vast landscapes that, to me, almost stimulates creativity. It's just like, you have to capture this. It's amazing. Beautiful places. Yeah. And that, Yeah, like... Sorry, go for it. I was just going to say, I was just going to say, hearing you guys talk about how Svalbard is like the polar bear capital of the world. I grew up in Canada think, or being told that Churchill, Manitoba is the polar bear capital of the world. Have you been, have you been up there? Uh, I haven't. Um... I, I know my like my great great grandfather worked up there teaching actually, but oh, wow. um, just hearing about it, a lot of documentaries and mm. um, it's just, it's completely different from Svalbard because you'll okay. get polar bears with pine trees and yeah. um, but it's got a huge polar bear population. Mm. Uh, Churchill actually has what is called the polar bear prison. Yes. Um, yeah. So for I don't know if you've heard of that at all, but basically they when a bear wanders into town. Um, they'll take the bear, put it in this jail, and then release it later on, hoping that that experience being in jail um, prevents it from wandering back into town. Yeah. I'm still very keen to get up to Churchill. One of my one of my Svalbard bear guides that I used up there was mm-hmm. was actually Canadian, and he worked in Churchill every season as part of the research or education or something. And, and the population is definitely bigger than Svalbard. I think the Boren Sea population is about three thousand give or take. Yeah. Churchill's way bigger. Um, the, the big, and this is why I want to get up there. Like you said, the photography is different. There's pine trees. You get the bears on the tundra and all of that. 
but I just haven't had the chance to get up there. The one thing that does excite me is from Churchill, and I'm not going to remember the name of this place right now. You go up and during the time when the moms bring the cubs out of the like snow caves and stuff, and I've seen some pictures, but it's, it's hardcore for people thinking they're going to get luxury. They need to think again. It's like you eat like, I don't know, bread and water for a week and you sleep in a bunk bed and stuff. So, but I still need to get up there. Maybe when I come to Canada, maybe we should go. I think we should do that. I'm down, especially because I, who was it? One of the Nat Geo guys was just doing a project on, they recently made the discovery that Churchill is, I think it's Churchill, somewhere Mm -hmm. in North Canada. They've figured out that it's one of the few places that wolves will actually prey on polar bears. And not just the cubs. Joking, really? They've found traces. Yeah. Big males even they'll go after. Fuck. So, so for me, so I've got, yeah. I've, I've, I've never seen a wolf in the wild on, in, in, on the Great Bear Rainforest three different times. We track them, but I mean, I know tracks. I've been doing this for a long time. These tracks, you know, you know, when you're on the beach, right. And the mm-hmm. water pulls back and you step with your foot and the kind of water pulls away from the track. And when you lift up, yeah. it slowly comes back. We saw wolf tracks like that. Coastal wolves. Right. And we yeah. could not for love or money find them. So that's very high. I can't even imagine wolves taking on polar bears. That's madness. I think it's Bertie Gregory, I think is the Nat Geo guy. And I think if you actually go on his Instagram, he probably has videos yeah. um, of those interactions. Yeah. I don't think he has them making kill, but obviously it's easy. You just Holy hell. study this cat and they find. If, if you find that, on your, could you send me a direct message with the link if you do find it? That's Yeah, yeah absolutely. But anyway, um, so your photography started years ago. And how did you find, how do you end up on Amara trip? How did you find us? What happened? How did you get to this point? Um, so with the Mara, the Mara has been a thing that I wanted to do ever since I was a little kid. Even before I knew like what Kenya was, I just knew there's Africa and there's, um, yeah. And like my mom has been telling all my, all her friends and stuff that I'm going. And that when I was a little kid, my dad and I would play wildebeest and crocodiles. Oh man! I cool. get, yeah, I used to get very graphic about it because he never did it right. I was like, "No, Dad, you have to like throw me and pull the flesh from my bones and stuff." I'm five. Like, <clears throat> I was always that kid. Yeah. Um, my brothers used to get mad at me because I would want to watch. They'd want to watch cartoons, and I would want to watch nature documentaries. And so I've always been that kid where it's just anything mm. animal related. I just have to absorb it. So, so just you've you've never been to Africa before. This is the first African never. trip. It's, it's gonna- yeah. It's going to blow your mind like you cannot understand. It's phenomenal. So, so how do you end up at yeah. our camp? I mean, did you find that on Google? Did you Facebook? Did you, how did you end up booking um, the Mara camp? Um, I think because I'm trying to think. I talked to you. I, think, I realized today it was like five years ago that I oh. talked to you about doing this. So oh. It's been a while. Um, and I think, I think I found you guys through Instagram. I think I started following you. And then I think Marlon. And then just um, go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, and now I follow basically everybody. Brilliant, man. Um, That's awesome. It's a funny thing with this Instagram thing. I mean, I remember way back, you, you mentioned five years, and it, it actually feels like a blink. Look, COVID stole two years from us, but different discussion. Um, I had a, when Instagram started, because when we started the company, I, I was on Instagram kind of initially. And suddenly out of nowhere, like four years later, I get an email from a guy, Phil, and he's like, I've been, and he didn't comment. He didn't, like, I didn't know this guy existed. And he said, and he's been following for about five or six years, likes what he sees, can he book a trip? I'm like, okay, wow, that's the power of this thing. But it's the value, it's the engagement. It's a phenomenal platform. It really is. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So what you must do is when you get to the camp, we need to do a lot of live streams and content and just to kind of show the family that you as the crocodile or the wildebeest, whatever, was actually, it was a premonition to what was going to happen. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. But now, but so listen, so we've, we've spoken about kind of questions and stuff. So the, and I love what you, what you said is other people might take value. So when you're ready, fire at will and let's kind of work through and see how we can help. Yeah. Um, I was going through them because I realized I wrote these up probably five years ago and I realized I probably spoken to Luca about these questions. So I'm just going to go off them. I know they've probably been brought yeah, up in podcasts before, but um, so I guess the first one I have here is nice guy opportunities, like opportunities for nice guy photography in the Mara. Sorry. Is that uh, a thing? Opportunity for? Uh, nice guy photography. It's like starry sky, that kind of. Oh, nice guy. Sorry, you broke up there for a sec. So okay. what we, so the Mara is an interesting one because theoretically by park rules, you have, you, you can't leave your camp or lodge sooner than 6.30 and you have to be back in your camp or lodge at seven. Now, the time yeah. of year, the peak migration season, the guys enforce this quite heavily. That would be kind of July through September. So the time when you come in, we have a little bit of flexibility with it. Now, I have done, and we can very much do night sky photography from the camp. So what, right. and I, look, I haven't checked this yet, but if we look at the moon phases for that time, some of the best stars I've seen is like two, three in the morning where you go out for a pee. So I'll go outside and just look for hippos, but still, and then you look up, it is insane. So yes, yeah. 100% night sky photography is possible. What is also, and it kind of links to it, is around the campfire. So we can time it, and I've done it once with Dixon, with a client, is I met him like at half past three in the morning, and we built a small yeah. fire, and then we had him. So we, we both had shooting the fire and the sky, um, either as composites or single shots, but no, it is definitely possible. What we must do is before our trip, we must just double check the moon phases and the timing, right. but definitely, definitely possible, yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess that kind of brings me to my next question would be curfews in camp. Like, is there a point where you're going to be like my mom and tell me to go to bed? Like in camp? No. <laughs> so <Yeah>. Dixon <laughs> might chase you away. No, he never does. So okay. um, the only thing is, so for us, our campsite situated in the Southern part um, of the triangle on the river, like I said, six thirty and seven, those are park rules. So when you land, yeah. they have little brochures. If you want to take it, like don't get close to 25 meters to animal, da, 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 da. Those are all obviously just guidelines because it's also a self-drive reserve. Now, they will come to you, for example, and I'll link this, that if you're closer to 25 meters to the animal, then they'll come and say, hey, don't do that. But we've had these right. discussions with them and say, well, if I start at 50 meters away and that lion comes to lay in the shade of our car, there's more damage if we pull up suddenly and leave, then at what the animal's doing. So with the, with the yeah. curfew thing, and that sounds like pandemic, but 6.30 is when you should leave camp. Now, we, right. on most mornings in migration, leave between 6 and 6.30. So wake-up time would be about 5.30, come down for coffee at 6, and then as soon as people are ready, we go. Um, and the, the wind there is just from an understanding point of view. Because we camp, by law, by, by rules, we have to have two armed rangers on site. So they walk around in the evening, make sure there's no animals kind of pulling up the kitchen and so on. They get fetched at about 4, 4.30 by the guys who drove the night shift. Mm -hmm. My guys then speak to them. So by the time we get to the fire, we have an idea if there's stuff close by or whatever the case is. So we do sometimes sneak out before. From a coming back point of view, the rules says that it is um, 7 o'clock. 
Now, we've had moments where you drive, so, and you'll see, if you drive down to camp, the sun on the western yeah. side, there's a beautiful ridge, and you sometimes get insane silhouettes. Elephants, I've never had a giraffe, though. That sucks. Um, Impala zebra, and we stop there sometimes. We are then within seven minutes of camp, and we have pushed it a little bit if there's a good sighting, right? If there's not a good sighting, I normally say to the guests, let's get back a little bit before because it buys us a bit of credit should there be something good. But seven o'clock, mm -hmm. we've been in negotiations with, um, with the parks board for a very long time asking, can we do like an evening dinner out? So we have got a dinner spot, a bush dinner spot right next to camp. Mm -hmm. So six, three, and seven is kind of the rules, but we bend it if necessary, but still within boundaries, if you know what I mean. Within the yeah. camp itself, um, you don't have to go to bed. I mean, nobody's going to chase you to bed. <laughs> You're often yeah. on the first night, I'll say to people, if you normally go to bed at 10, go a bit earlier because of the night sounds, just that experience. But I've also had people right. who sit through the night at the fire, which is not a, not a bad idea, um, until three in the morning, just listen to the sounds, have a drink, watch the fire. But no, mom, there are no moms chasing you to bed. Short vision. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so I guess, what's kind of camp etiquette like what's expected of the guests in regards to etiquette around camp that's a very interesting question and something i don't think anybody's asked like that um i think very good question i think what we what we try and get to people before they get to camp is we want to try and manage the expectations like we've never had for example someone who arrives and they bitch and moan because there's not an aircon in their tent or there's not an iPod docking station or whatever the hell it might be, right? So people know they're going in for an authentic experience. I think from an etiquette point of view, I mean, for me always in life, it's just be nice, be kind, but allow yourself to be a bit more flexible and try different things. For example, um, think of an example. Um, like on, on the last eve, second last evening, the Maasai guys do a, a goat in traditional Maasai style around the fire. Now, people think, oh, my God, I can't eat goat. It's disgusting. It is some of the best meat you'll ever have. It's phenomenal. Um, it's to be flexible in that if we say we're going to leave at three in the afternoon and we leave at half past two or half past three, it's, I think, the best way to maybe say it is surrender yourself to the experience because the staff are phenomenally nice. They are, and sometimes it's almost too nice. I'm like, holy hell, you, you like dripping, but that's how they are. They, they are that. So literally, I think, yeah, surrender yourself to the experience and just go with the flow because then you'll get the true authentic experience. Even I can think maybe of once where someone was quite uppity because this is wrong and we're not on time and this and that. And then Dixon went to speak to them and he can talk anybody down like in his just normal kind of way. But no, I mean, just, just go with the flow. I think that's, that's make the most of the experience while you're there. Right. Okay. Um, just trying to keep i've got my questions like all over the place so i'm trying to yeah, keep yeah, them good. somewhat <laughs> um it's been a long time coming so yeah i know and this is bad i'm a journalism student so i should be good at asking <laughs> questions and having my questions organized but i'm not <laughs> um because i went through and deleted a bunch and changed a bunch so of course yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So in regards to distance, like where would the closest crossing be towards the camp? In uh, regards okay. to so, so, yeah, so out camp, we were given that particular location because so it, it makes a big hairpin bend. 
um, in the river. And we were, we're on that little peninsula, if you will. So we were given that site because historically it was before we're the first piece person or first company to camp there. It was a crossing point, a big one, but it was ridiculously dangerous because on the, you'll see when you're there on the other side, it's quite strong up um, rocks mm-hmm. and, cliff and then a little outlet. So there were times when between three and 4,000 animals would die there at that one crossing. So, the, and once these animals start crossing there because of smell and habit and just paths and stuff. So they put our camp there to stop. The first couple of years, we had animals coming into camp trying to cross there. So you had Maasai running around with like canvas bags, chasing wildebeest around, chasing them away from the river. But from a a, a legit crossing point, if you come out of camp and you get to the main road, you turn right. About a three and a half, four minute drive up is one of the biggest crossing points, basically in the Mara, which is um, it's called Peninsula. And the river makes a hairpin bend towards us. So it offers a great view basically anywhere from our side. That's the closest one. And if you drive, if you keep driving 10 minutes up that road, there's about four or five. Mitimoja, there's Kiboko, Maine. So there's a lot of them within within a 10-minute drive. There's about five. Okay. Um, Sorry, just while you're thinking on that one, the the wind there as well is we get to those crossings. We can be there quarter past six in the morning or quarter to seven early. We can also stay there until about 10 to 7. There's no other big lodges or camps close to us. Those guys have to leave to get back. And so for some of them, it's an hour and a half, two-hour drive. So normally, the earlier in the day and the later in the day, we have crossings better because we've had times when it's just our four vehicles, nobody else. Mm-hmm. So that location is a big deal, especially with timing. Great. Um, I know this is probably one that's been asked, I don't know how many times, but just because I said I would ask questions that I feel everyone can benefit from. Yes. Um, going to the bathroom on the drive. Okay. So, so originally, so, so for people who really, really, really need a physical toilet, we are always within a little bit of a, unless we go deep into the triangle, we're always close to either a gate, like the, the bridge, the gate at the top, mm-hmm. Morris Arena's in the middle and then camp and stuff like that. So more often than not, well, 99% of the time, you ask the guides if you can check tires. Now, checking tires means stop, get out, go behind, check the tires, get back in, announce to the vehicle that the tires are all fine, and then we carry on. So the guides have started saying that the guys check tires and the girls pick flowers. I don't know where that came from. That's a Sammy and Jimmy thing. But literally, the only so, so we can stop anywhere for that. Obviously, not within dangerous sighting um, proximity and also not on the main roads. So, But other right. than that, it's, it's that simple. Obviously, easier for guys. I've even had guys saying they will never, ever do this in the bush. It's, it's, it's savage and whatever. It's nice. Trust me. Standing there, having a view, yeah. nothing. So, no, checking the tires can happen anywhere. But if necessary, we can always get, um, get to a, a, like a bathroom or a toilet. We normally, normally stop for breakfast in the mornings. And that involves Dixon and the guys coming out and they bring the breakfast. And they bring a porter potty loo thing as well. So, at least there's that okay. break should you need it, yeah. Great. Um, very important question that <laughs> yeah I knew because I, I remember from one of the podcasts the checking tires thing so I was like as a guest do I just say I need to check tires 100% and, and they will even if you ask you want to go and they, they'll ask does anybody want to check tires so some guests are like uh, mm-hmm. I thought that's your job this is your vehicle you need to manage this stuff so <laughs> got it. uh, it's a nice way to do it okay um, so what about laundry during mm-hmm. your trip? Like what's mm-hmm. kind of the deal with that? 
So for the majority of lodges in Africa, laundry is a paid service. You get a bag in your room, you do it, and they bring it back the next day. Initially, we we didn't do it when we were small. Now that we've grown up, we, you have a laundry bag in your room. It's all service included. So there's no extra pay. <laughs> Mary, who runs our housekeeping, she's like the mother of the camp. She would normally, we, we said to her, okay, wait until people put it in the bag, then take it. Christ, it's almost to the point where if you take your shirt off and you drop it before it hits the floor, they've already fetched it, right? So there's a continuous, I mean, literally, if you want to pack light, you can bring three sets of pants and shirts and they will just keep on rotating it for you. Uh, they're phenomenally efficient. Once in a while, you might get someone else's socks or you might get a bra in your room. Um, we just then, okay, if you find it, just put it on that table over there and when nobody's looking, you can fetch it, whatever the case is. But no, it's a, it's a fully included service and the guys are great with it. Okay. Yeah, man, my questions are just really all over the place here. So it's just going to be. No, nah, got all the time. Um, <laughs> it's kind of forced rabbit holes at this point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are some kind of lesser known species that could be seen during the migration? Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I'm just trying to think East Africa quickly switch on. So in Kenya, when we drive out, there's a couple of, a pair of dick ducks which is one of the smallest antelope. It's about the size of a small poodle, right? They live around camp. There's some of them. Um, from, a, from a game point of view, so black rhino is quite unusual and rare. There's only about 18 in the ecosystem. Uh, other things would be, for example, I'm trying to think. Leopards and lions are easy. Well, I shouldn't say that, but it is. Um, there are like reed buck, which you don't find all that often. The pangolins pop up every once in a while. Not when I'm there, so sorry for you, but <laughs> they, um, they do pop up once in a while. Wild dogs have been starting to pop up once in a while as well, which is very, and, and it's a strange thing because it's such a beautiful environment for them, but they're just mm -hmm. not there. So they've been starting to pop up. Um, things like, I mean, if you're into birding, we saw an Egyptian vulture last time, which people lost their minds at. Um, so bird, there's a couple of rare bird species coming in, but otherwise it would be the smaller, like an oribi or the reedback or the dick ducks, and then things like pangolin, um, obviously caracal, that's gold if you can find that. I've only seen it twice in the Mara. Serval, funny enough, is quite easy. We see them almost every trip now, and these things are getting relaxed where you can spend 10, 15, even 30 minutes with these things. But yeah, I think it's the smaller species, hey, the, 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 the dwarf antelopes, and then your, your rare things, out far, pangolin, badger. Apparently, they have badgers. They've never seen one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, actually, because I was going to ask you about the wild dogs, um, likelihood of seeing them. So if you asked me that question three years ago, I would say zero. Because there was a time when, if I'm not mistaken, in the Mara Triangle specifically, there was something like five or six years that went by, even more, that there was none. They, they, if you looked on, on literature, they said they're not there. Then one day, two of them just popped over from the Serengeti because the, the southern border they came across. And since right. then, um, I'm speaking under correction here, but I think we might have had six, seven groups of guests that have seen them. And that's all in the last couple of years. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as high as 50-50, maybe like a 30% chance at this rate. Okay. And that's still on the high end, but I would, I would probably go somewhere there. Yeah. Like, it's not the destination where I'm going to say, if you say to me, you want to see wild dogs, I'm not taking you to the Mara. Then I'll take you to right. a Kwe or a Tualu or stuff like that. But no, I think right. you know, if you, for two weeks, but you'd be there for two weeks. You never know. Eh? Um, could happen. 
Um, I'm trying to save like all the camera related questions because yeah, yeah, as was a lot. Um, <laughs> what are some like what are off what are things people often forget to bring when they go on their first safari? A hat, um, proper sunscreen. We've got sunscreen in the vehicles, but it can get very hot in the afternoons, especially if you're sitting at a sighting and the sun gets like through the top of the roof and everything, it can get hot. Um, what else do they forget? Uh, sometimes people forget camera charges, which is more often than you, you might think. Um, converters. So we have got two types of converters, uh, PowerPoints in the, in the media tent, but still to bring one that you know works for you. Um, enough batteries. Some people don't have enough batteries. I've even had people running out of memory cards, and that's just a schoolboy error. You don't do that. Um, yeah, and I, th- and I think maybe yeah. also like just a jacket. Because even though you can get the hell of a hot, the mornings can be very cold. I've had people wrapped up in blankets and beanies and stuff. So maybe just a jacket as well. Those are probably the common ones, huh? Okay. Hmm. Um, kind of going back to the memory card thing since you mm-hmm. mentioned it. What's kind of a good capacity for a memory card to bring on Safari? Your. So, so the first question then would be is, I'm assuming you're bringing a laptop and an external hard drive. Or two for backup. Yeah. So then I wouldn't with you're going to be shooting a Sony, hey? Sony A9. Yeah. So with, uh, well, yeah. So I'm shooting the Sony A9 that I'm renting through you guys, and then I'm bringing my personal A7R4. Okay. Okay. There you go. The file size on those things are ginormous. So I would never ever now with today's cameras have a memory card that's less than 64. So if you have, okay. for example, 1064s or five and you download every evening, you're good. Um, it's not going to happen, even on the 7R4, where you're shooting, even a crossing, where, you, where you're rattling off quite a bit of frames, that you'll fill it up, and you go over to your second card in the second slot and fill that up as well. So you, 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 I can maybe think of once or twice where that has happened. But 64 is a minimum, short answer. Okay. I know on the Sony, you get those 128s, the, what are, what are they called? The smart something. That would probably be the ideal for you, but 64 can also work. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for me, I guess for lenses, my I am bringing my 200 to 600. Yes. Um, other than that, my choices are I have 1635, 24 to 104. Which of those would you bring, or would you bring all the other two as well? Take all of it. Take all of it. Because, of it. so I would, so... You got the 200, 600. What's the, what's the second one? The, the long one? 24105. Uh, yeah, 20, yeah, 24105, F4. And then mm-hmm. the 1635, 2.8. Yeah. 1635, 100%, 100% because of fire shots, night skies, landscapes, and such. I would keep that in your bag. I would then put your 200, 600, depending on what you're photographing, I would put the 200, 600 on the A9 because of speed. And I would put the 24105 on the 7R4 because of wide and you can still crop in that's for a, a, any sighting or a crossing where there's action happening uh, or potentially happening if it's something that it's a static sighting and you want to get really deep detail then i would swap i would put the 600 on the 7r4 24105 on the 9 because then you you then playing towards the the crop and the getting closer rather than the speed but so those two for me would always be on the um on the cameras and then the 1635 in your bag to change as needed Okay. Um, and don't don't dish your phone as well. Mobile phones, 
for video and stuff like that on the fly is golden. Absolutely golden. Yeah. No, that is definitely something I need to... <laughs> I will be upgrading my phone before I leave because my iPhone that I have right now has seen better days. Which, which one are you getting? I'm going to go with the 13 Pro. It's ridiculous. I mean, the camera on that thing is just mad. So yeah, you, you're going to use it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not even joking. My phone is being held together with gaffer tape right now. That is, that is, that, that kind of hurts my soul just a little bit, but that's fine. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> it, it hurts all my friends when they see it and they just, I, they rip me all the time. Can you get a new phone, please? I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm wrapping up on questions here. Nice. Okay, so I, this, I'll kind of make this my last one because I yes. think this is a different one to end on. So, what's kind of the three do's and what's the three don'ts to do well on the Mara? And that could be experiences. That could be just habits. I don't know. Up to you. Um, It starts with the don'ts. Don't get stuck behind your camera all the time. There's times when myself or or Trevor, whoever it is, will say to you, even at a crossing, put your camera down, have a beer and just watch. Because if you're behind your camera all the time, you're losing, you're losing this, the, the, the the smell, the feeling, the, the look of it as well. So don't get stuck behind your camera all the time. Don't go in with preconceived ideas, and that's both on experience and photography. The, the, the challenge that some people have is they look at our images. Oh, man, I want to get that image. Yeah, I've been going there for 10 years, four or five trips a year. You're going to be there for two weeks. You, you cannot compare. So don't go in with any expectation. You can, you're going to come out on the other side winning anyway for you. You're going to win regardless. Um, and then don't, another don't, my goodness, what do we say? This, that... Don't, <laughs> this might be interesting, don't try and stick dramatically to whatever healthy eating plan you have. Because, because and, and I'm talking, the, the, the meals, so we, we're very friendly on meals, we can cater for everything, but on the vehicles, when you're driving around, a cold Tusker goes down like a homesick mole. It is beautiful, right? And then the chips, the crisps, and the, the nuts and stuff they have in the car, don't deny yourself. It's phenomenal, um, from a do point of view, um, I think, so, so I'm going to contradict myself a little bit. Sometimes do shoot more than you think you should. Like if it's a static sighting, um, and that's purely photography. I think a lot of people leave image quality on the table because they think they have it. Second one is do keep on trying different things in different lenses in sightings. And the last two, and maybe this is, um, maybe this is a bit out there, but, but, but I, I push this is, do take time out for yourself, either in your tent, around the fire, even on breakfast stops. Walk away from the people and just, just for a moment, realize where you are and how special it is. Um, it's a big deal. And I, I see it often. People will kind of just, at breakfast, everybody's talking and that you can just wandering off and just go and so, so do take time for yourself just to kind of live in the moment. And don't be on your phone all the time posting Instagram. You can do that later. So, yeah. I think that's it. I mean, I've got one for you. What is the one thing yeah. you're looking forward to most? Is it the, the crocodiles ripping flesh from bones because that's what she did as a kid? Or is it something else? I honestly, I think it changes day to day, just planning it and looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, elephants are my favorite animal. Cool. Um, for many reasons. And I feel like that's a really common thing. Um, 
can't wait to see lions. Um, mm. There's really obscure ones like I should have asked you this earlier. What's the chance of seeing a kudu? Kudu in negative. Mara? Not in the Mara. Negative. No. Okay. Um, how how much? Yeah, you got those two weeks. No kudu in the Mara. You won't get um, the the closest. So it's a spiral horned antelope. The closest would probably be in Ireland. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kudu not in that ecosystem. For your next trip, come to South Africa, and I'll show you lots of kudu. <laughs> Okay. The reason I ask is because I have a huge kudu tattoo piece on my arm. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. How, how did that happen? So, how did you decide on a kudu? I don't know. They've. I. I think I had a toy one as a kid, and mm. I just they've been like my they're my favorite antelope. Yeah. Look, so, they are absolutely, and I mean, with reason. Our in South Africa, South African national parks. That's the emblem. Is the kudu with the spiral horns? They are absolutely majestic. Okay. But yeah, unfortunately, not in the in the in the Mara. Um, what I'm trying to think, what would be a replacement for it? I think the, the type of photographs you can get of a kudu often involves clean shots with the horns or silhouettes, and Topi sometimes can step into that role from a silhouette point of view, not as dramatic horns, but no, it's it's still it's, it's still decent. Yeah. So okay, so I won't be seeing a kudu, but um, yeah, no, honestly, it just what I'm looking forward to most changes day to day. I'm mm. I've already like I didn't even really ask for it. Luke kind of just said he could probably arrange that, but having Sammy as a driver, oh yeah, because I think I was I think I was in that Periscope where he started singing. Uh, holy and, hell, do you remember that? Jeez, yeah. Just for people listening, so what happened? This is how long ago is this? It's about six years, five, six years, something. It's way back. And at the time, yeah. Periscope was still live streaming. Um, like now you can do Facebook Live and Instagram Live. Then it was Periscope. And so we were actually, this is about four minutes from camp. We've got a leopard in a tree. So I'm helping people. I'm busy doing a Periscope Live. So I just hand my phone to Sammy. I say, there's, there's comments popping up on the screen. Just talk to the people. And he's like, what the hell? So he's pointing at the leopard and I'm focusing on the guest. And suddenly he bursts out into Buffalo Soldier. And I'm like, what the fuck? He says, no, people said he's got to do this and he's talking, but he's like real time talking to these people. Anyway, so we leave that, um, we leave that sighting and we go down to the border where there's no signal. So, you know, so, and then as I start coming back up the hill, these notifications comes through on Periscope. Someone followed mm -hmm. to the point where I literally, I couldn't get them away. They would just keep on coming in. I think there must've been about three, three and a half thousand people that followed my feed just because of that. And that eventually also ended up being featured in National Geographic magazine as a feed to follow. I'm like, guys, this doesn't happen every day. This is kind of a unique thing. But shit, I can't yeah. believe you remember that. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, that, and like meeting Dixon and stuff. Um, I actually have, <clears throat> I have, I already have a gift in mind for Dixon and I've already gotten it. I'm going to be bringing it with me, but um the Maasai culture has fascinated me so much. And my family is what we call Métis, which means our family, um, our an my ancestors are basically a mix of okay. usually Scottish and Cree um, Native Americans. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a traditional piece of clothing that I'm going to bring. Oh, it's man, our, awesome. yeah, it's a sash and it all the colors mean every like mean, have certain meanings to our culture and everything. So yeah. I was going to bring that and give it to, Dixon as just kind of a connection between the different that's brilliant culture this is the one thing just on your don't and do question is do make a point and people often forget because you're, you're so intimate 
in the camp with these people, but do make a point one night, like after dinner when people started going, and say to Dixon or Tenke, both of them, um, and have mm-hmm. and just sit with them at the fire and talk, and talk about you ask questions or give them something that you think the conversation is phenomenal. And I promise you, when you think back a year from now on your trip, it's those quiet moments at the fire with a Maasai, just you, lions roaring in the distance. That's the shit that matters. And and more than any lion photograph. So that's a thing that you have to do. It is absolutely golden. Yeah. Absolutely golden. Yeah. Awesome. I feel like I've just kind of, (laughs) I haven't really got to your question because yeah, I, I there's, too many things I think to really look forward to. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a total experience. And I think that's the one thing where, and maybe I'm wrong asking that question, but people, people often have these singular things that I'm looking forward to seeing a crossing. You you more than likely will touch wood. You more than likely will, but don't hinge the experience on the crossing. It's the whole thing. And, And there's, there's things like in the morning early when you wake up and you come to the fire and the sun's, the sky is still black going into dark blue and then it changes sitting at the fire with a cup of coffee, people arriving one by one, even those things. So, so don't, yeah. don't, and yeah, so I, I shouldn't ask the question, but don't focus on singular events. It's, it's the entire thing. Hey. Yeah. Mm. No, you're going to love it, man. It's going to blow your mind. I, yeah, I, I, most trips I've been worried about, um, my expectations not being met, and I just get the feeling that they're going to be blown out of the water. Yeah, I, I, and, and I mean this when I say I can guarantee it. And that, that's even yeah. for someone who's been to Africa coming to the camp, but it's it's you popping your cherry on this one is, no, I, I guarantee it's going to blow your mind, man. Absolutely. I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, I to host with you. Yeah, I can't wait to meet everyone too. So. Love, it. Love it. So maybe what yeah. we must do, we, we'll wrap this one up, but what we'll do then is, maybe a month or so after you get back home from the trip and you've had a time to kind of process and decompress, let's do another chat and then just let, kind of see how this thing rolls forward for you and what you found and what your expectation was and so on. That'd be fun if you keep. Yeah, absolutely. I am definitely keen to do it. That's brilliant, man. But listen, um, this was fun. I'm going to put this out. Um, are you happy if I t- um, tag you in the email and, or in the, in the description, people come and check you on Instagram they can follow you, so go and follow Evan, and because um, he's going to post some pretty sick images from Africa not too long from now, and um, and then we will hit it up from there when we get to tomorrow. Definitely, yeah. Awesome, Evan. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to wrap this. I'll do the intros and stuff later today. I will send you a link to the to the um, to the episode. I will also send you a little graphic if you want to share on your story, whatever the case is. But thank you so much for your time. That was really really cool. Yeah, I had fun doing this and I wish it hadn't taken us five years to get it. Copy that. But at least, <laughs> at least now we're within like shooting distance of the actual trip. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. It's, no, it's not hypothetical anymore. It's actually happening. Yeah, no, it's right. And yeah, and nothing, not even COVID is going to stop this shit. So we're there. No. <laughs> yeah. What, what's the time of day for you now? Um, it is almost two o'clock in the morning here. Two o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. You look very awake. <laughs> yeah, and I classed at eight in, eight in the morning, so we'll see how I look then. Okay, yeah, good luck with that. I would say drink a lot of coffee <laughs> because that's, that's what works for me. But Evan, listen, yeah. um, I hope you sleep well. Thank you for the chat. Um, I'll be in touch. I'll send you on email the link and the description. And yeah, I will see you in the morrow, not so long from now, man. Yeah.
Good stuff. See you then. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself, Evan. Cheers, eh? Bye-bye. Cheers, bud. Bye. Okay, guys, so there you go. Uh, It was good fun. It's nice to kind of get questions from one person that I know will add value as well. So I'm going to put this out there. Any other guest that has booked on the Mara week, or any of our trips for that matter, if you would like to do a podcast with me and we then talk through the experience, you ask your questions, let me know. Also, if you haven't booked yet, but you have questions about a trip that you are keen on and you want to find out more, same thing. Hit me up. Let's do a Zoom. I'll record the podcast from from there, and hopefully we can add some value not to you, but to other people listening as well. Anyway, guys, as always, thank you for lending me your ears. Thank you for your attention. I will see you in the next episode. My name is Jerry. I'm from Wild Eye. Have a good one.